well, uh, today is the official start of the Christmas season on Sunday mornings here at Rancho. But uh, before we go there, I want to talk about soccer season, right? It is World Cup season. Uh, go USA. We, first of all, made it to the World Cup. That's half of the miracle right there. We sometimes don't. So we got there. And then we got through the group stage, which is fantastic, and uh, then fell on our face. But it was a good run for, for USA. Um, now, I'm not a big soccer guy. I'll be honest with you. I catch about 14 minutes of soccer every four years during the World Cup. That's my extent. So I went on the World Wide Web, did some research about soccer, the game of soccer, and it's got an amazing history, amazing history. What I didn't know is just how incredibly dangerous it is. So I put together some clips, about a minute and a half worth of clips. Some of this, you know, might be a little uncomfortable, uh, the injuries here, but let's check out some of the uh, uh, soccer clips and how dangerous the sport actually is. Might wanna look on the, uh, yeah, the side screens there. Yeah, just absolutely, I mean, they, they brush by his ankle and look at that, look at the torment there. Watch this guy here. Yeah, just, that's called the soccer ghost. The ghost kicked him right in the, and just absolute, you know, violence there. Yep, a little, little tap on the belly and watch this. I don't know how he survived that. I do not know how, soccer is so dangerous. The injury there, look at that, look at that. And uh, yes, he hit, <laughs> he hit nothing. Why, they always grab their neck too. Watch that. They grab, <laughs> grab their neck. That guy ended up three days in the hospital for sure. This is, um, that's Ronaldo. Yeah, the world's greatest soccer player. Even he, look at that injury. Incredibly dangerous. This guy probably was buried out back. Again, grabs his neck. Yep, horrible, horrible injuries. Watch this, this is my favorite. This is my absolute favorite. Uh, watch this in slow motion. Taps him on the, on, like a, hey dude, good job. Now, this is my favorite. This is from the actual, uh, from the Women's World Cup. That's a Brazilian player playing the, play the U.S. She goes down. Medics, like ambulance. There wasn't anybody around her for 20 yards. On the stretcher, and then she decides, you know what, I think I'm okay. <laughs> Runs right back, and then right back on the pitch. And uh, there she goes. So that's soccer, ladies and gentlemen. That's the sport. It is fantastic. Now, did you guys get into the World Cup at least a little bit? Come on. Red-blooded American, you gotta get into it at least a little bit. Even if you're not a soccer person, you're into it. Um, did see the Iran game. Uh, we were having a little ministry staff mini retreat at my house on that day, I think it was Tuesday, and uh, we put on the game, so we really didn't do much of anything but watch the game. But it's kinda cool how the US and Iran treated each other despite the geopolitical tensions, right? They were kinda helping each other out. Kind of a warm spot in your heart emerges. There's just something about sport, right? Whether you're playing for your country or you're seeing, you're seeing just a little bit of humanitarianism and the craziness of this world, it generates a feeling in us. Sport generates a feeling. It's a feeling I'm gonna call conveniently wonder. Wonder, it's a feeling of wonder. Now I looked up the definition of wonder and I wasn't satisfied with any of them, so I kind of cobbled a definition of wonder together and uh, let's give this a go here. Wonder is what we feel when experiencing something new, rare, unexpected, or larger than life that evokes a sense of happiness. The feeling of wonder is kind of hard to define, but this is the best I could kind of do putting a bunch of different definitions together. When we experience something new, rare, unexpected, or larger than life, and then from that experience, this feeling of, of happiness, right? Pleasure kind of rises. That's the feeling of wonder. I want you right now to identify when you last felt 
the feeling of wonder. When did you last feel that sense of wonder? Can you think of it? Some of you are like, oh yeah, it's the Christmas season. You know, the lights in Old Town or walking through the neighborhood and saw some wonderful decoration and it kind of warmed my heart or I saw some kindness or a charitable act, right? Some of you maybe who have lived a little bit of life might be a little worn out by life. You might be busy, you might be distracted and you can't identify the last time you felt the feeling of wonder. We need to grab that feeling. We need to grab that sense of wonder and actually seek that feeling out. Because I think wonder is something that can not only sort of surprise us in a moment, but the feeling of wonder is something we can actually seek to experience as a regular part of life. I had an unexpected feeling of wonder uh, last night. We were at the women's uh, dessert. The place was beautiful, just packed with uh, ladies who are dressed to here and dapper men serving their every need. It was fantastic. And just that Christmas spirit, you know, Christmas music. And then this uh, grandmother, who I know very, very well, came by with this newborn baby. Now, we had been praying for this baby for quite a long time. This baby had a difficult pregnancy and what could have been a difficult birth. And so the leadership here was praying for this baby and I had never seen the baby until last night. And so knowing the whole story of this baby and then watching grandma's face as she's looking into the eyes of this newborn baby. I mean, it was like the whole Christmas scene and this baby and like, this is awesome. That feeling of wonder sort of generated spontaneously, but it is something that we can actually seek after as well. It doesn't have to be rare. And for those of us who might be on the little bit of a cynical side and you know who you are and I know who I am, we might be a little cynical. We might be a little jaded. We can still have that childlike wonder that comes not only from Christmas, but can come through all of life. And that's what we're gonna talk about this month, the wonder of Christmas. As we talk about wonder, I want us to understand something very important. Wonder is a uniquely human experience. It's a uniquely human experience that drives humankind forward, actually. There's been a lot of study on the feeling of wonder, the emotion of wonder, the experience of wonder, and it drives humanity forward because the feeling of wonder says, you know what? There might be something greater than what we're experiencing now. Let me seek after that. Let me experience bits of it. Let me experience that joy of seeing something and experiencing something bigger than I am, better than what we have around us. It drives humankind forward. And we even see in the first page of the Bible where God gave us that experience of wonder. It's Genesis 1, 27. Famously, God creates human beings, male and female, in his own image. And listen to what he says. Be fruitful and multiply, Fill the earth and govern it. That's where God installs this permission within us to experience wonder. So if you know about your, you know, your human anthropology, you might know that humankind emerged around the Horn of Africa, a little bit south-ish, right? And, and I believe that this declaration is the declaration to humankind from our beginning that said, hey, listen, there's a whole world out there for you to explore, for you to be curious about, don't just stay put. Don't just stay in, in your little spot. Don't just stay in your little villages and your people. Visit the entire world. Step beyond, explore, and you will see things that will blow your mind. And when you explore the entire earth, don't just fill it, but govern over it, rule over it, steward over it. God's saying, you know, don't fill the earth and destroy it. Fill the earth and govern it. Take great care of it. This is a wonderful place, and it's made for you enjoy it. Be amazed at it. 
have that feeling of wonder, and then take care of the place. This is a uniquely human experience. We are created for wonder. We're created to seek wonder, to explore things that create this feeling of wonder. But when wonder fades, so does hope. When wonderment fades, so does hope. And so, you know, humankind gets a little solemn, melancholy at times because we see what's around us. We see the hurt that's around us and, and war that's looming and economy and poverty and disease and things like that are constantly swirling in the human experience. And sometimes when enough is enough, wonder fades and we get to this kind of stale place where we're stuck. Societies get stuck. Families get stuck. People, individuals get stuck. And this Christmas season, we're saying nobody gets stuck. We're going to experience wonder. We're going to keep discovering what could be new and more and better and special and meaningful and uniting, right? And we see a little piece of that in, in sport, as we talked about, right? This idea of wonderment is not only something we feel, but it's something that kind of unites us. Sport evokes wonder. Sport evokes wonder. Here's a, your average Raider fan, right, before a game. Here's your average Raider fan after a game. Now, I'm a Raider fan, so I can, I'm not judgy. I'm just speaking from your own personal experience. But I guarantee the very next game, he's going to be all up for it, right? This wonder of, of, you know, rooting for this team and all the athleticism in history and rooting for your city and rooting for your, you know, the team that you maybe have loved for generations, right? Sport evokes wonder. Art evokes wonder. Uh, if I were to, you know, pick an art form I like the best, it would be Impressionism, um, but that's just my personal preference. There's art in the form of, of music and sculpture and dance. I mean, art takes all kinds of shapes, right? Oak, art evokes wonder that I get to participate in seeing and experiencing and feeling what is being expressed here through this artistic piece. And so I want to take this time uh, to really give a shout out for some heroes. I call them the uh, November 18th heroes that were really uh, for the arts. They were the moms by the millions all over this world trying to get Taylor Swift tickets. They're the November 18th heroes. And one of those heroes is right here this morning, <laughs> trying to get tickets for my daughter. I mean, millions of moms, because their kids were at school, millions of moms were on that computer fighting Ticketmaster, right? And, and getting the prize of, of having their children involved in a work of art, right? Whether you like Taylor Swift or not, that lady knows how to produce music, and she knows how to create unity. She knows how to invoke, evoke this feeling of wonderment. I have never been to one of her concerts. They have. Many of you have. I saw a reputation on uh, Netflix. I mean, unbelievable production. Through art, through music, millions of people are united. Something is awakened within us through art. That is the feeling of wonder. Religion evokes wonder. Religion evokes wonder. All the religions of the earth, there's hundreds of formal religions of, of the earth. They're, they're trying to connect us with the, the, the eternal, connect us with God, building incredible buildings to lift us up to a different place. That is the feeling of wonder. Nature evokes wonder. We try to get to Yosemite often, right? At least once every several years, we gotta get to Yosemite. It's only up the road. I mean, Southern California, people, listen to me. One of the most beautiful places in the world is up the road. You can be there like this evening if you leave now. Well, not now, wait till the service is done. And you go through this road and, you, you, and then the whole valley emerges and you're like, you've got to be kidding me. This place is real. 
It just looks like something that, that fantasy would make up. It is so incredibly gorgeous, right? And it evokes this sense of wonder. The best at evoking wonder is Disneyland. Disneyland, our tech people are all excited. Disneyland evokes wonder. I mean, they evoke so much wonder, you're like, Disney, let me give you every single penny I've ever earned in my life. This is such a great experience, right? Every square inch of that place, the landscaping, the lighting, the music, the characters, everything meticulously designed to create this sense of wonder. And I know for our own experience, one of the greatest, truly, like memories of being with my kids is at, I think it was Disney World or whatever, and um, the whole scene was generated to create this awesome experience. It was Disneyland, it was Christmas, and the fake snow, and the lights, and the music, and it was great, and we're all there looking at the snow, and then I looked down, and Tyler's gone. Typical, Tyler's gone. So for five minutes, so we, from incredible wonder to incredible panic, who, you know, where's Tyler? But anyway, <laughs> Disney creates and evokes the sense of wonder. What trumps all of this? What wonderment trumps all of this? It is Christmas. The wonder of Christmas trumps all of this combined because the story of Christmas is so incredible. The story of Christmas is so fantastic. The message of Christmas that through this Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is coming to earth and radically changing the earth from the ground up, changing the entire place. That story is incredible, so incredible that it should create this feeling of wonder. And not just around the story of Christmas, but the entire season and the way we've handled Christmas, right? When the city lights up and the cold and the dark builds anticipation, right? That something very special is coming. We've created mysteries in all of it, right? That, that there is this North Pole and elves and Santa and pulling, uh, reindeer pulling sleighs and dropping off these gifts, family arrangements being made and family travel. Christmas movies, Charlie Brown Christmas, Christmas Story, Polar Express, Elf, Spirited. Have you seen Spirited? Apple Plus? You a fan? Thumbs up if you're a fan. Thumbs down. We got it definitively. Lots of thumbs up. There's a thumbs down over there. Just about kicked him out of Rancho. All right. And then, of course, the Christmas movie that is definitively the best ever made is Nacho Libre. Never argue with me about that. And then the whole Christmas traditions and Christmas morning, I mean, you get the idea, right? This is the season for wonderment. But some of us have to admit that we might have lost our wonder. We might have lost our childlike wonder because maybe of age. We've just kind of grown a lot and we've experienced a lot and we're not easily impressed and we're like, meh, 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 meh. If there was an emoji of our life, it'd be the meh emoji, right? We're not easily impressed anymore. Maybe the busyness and chaos of this season just is tamping down this childlike wonderment, right? It's there, it's somewhere, you wanna feel it, but there's just a lot to do and I gotta do my list, I gotta do this and all this stuff. And I get that, totally get that. Maybe you're going through a hard time in life. You're just going through it. There's relationship problems, economy problems, or, or maybe Christmas time is just a painful time for you because you've lost a loved one or because of experiences in the past, you're just not feeling it. And maybe you shouldn't, I don't know, because of what's happened in your life. And I get that. But maybe this season we can ask God, you know, can we experience a little bit of that feeling, not just as a mask over things, but really to experience what I think Jesus invites us to experience, which is childlike wonder. Not just at Christmas, but in life. Luke 18, 17, check this out. 
Jesus says, I tell you the truth, become like a child and you will see the kingdom of heaven. Become like a child and you will see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, listen, unless you have a childlike wonder, you're not gonna see anything majestic or beautiful. You're not gonna see heaven itself. But what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying heaven is right here. You just have to see it. And you can't see it with kind of jaded, cynical eyes. You, you can only see the kingdom of heaven that is right here and right now through a childlike wonder. Jesus says, open the eyes of a child and you will see magnificent things. You will stand in awe of the kingdom of heaven that is right here and right now. But the more we live life, the harder it is to impress us. In fact, there's a, a phrase out there that I, I love. Uh, it hits uh, social media every once in a while, and it's the phrase, so that just happened, right? Something incredible just happened, and you're like, oh, that happened. It's sort of this commentary that, yeah, I'm not impressed anymore. Life just happens, right? Or we've seen all the natural wonders, and we're not impressed anymore. Maybe instead of going out and seeing Taylor Swift, you stay home in your sweats. That was my choice. Jenny said, you want a Taylor Swift concert? I, I, I took it, I, I toyed with it, and I'm like, I would really like to see this production, but I don't want to be the only 52-year-old creeper around a bunch of <laughs> teenagers. <laughs> so I decided not to. So I'm going to be in my, in my sweats. And if that, you know, if, if we start losing the desire to go out and live life and want to stay home in our sweats, you know, let, we might need that spark of wonder, right? The stresses and responsibility of life kind of tamp wonder down. Maybe you just look at life as it is and you see the pain of life and war and injustice and poverty and it just does something to your sense of wonderment. I get all of that. But let's for a moment land on this story of Christmas. Let's just, as Jesus says, look at it. Let's have the childlike eyes open and absorb this story. It's an incredible story. I think it is the most wonderful story that we celebrate the most wonderful time of the year. Here's the story. 2,000 years ago, the region of Palestine in modern-day Israel, deep poverty, deep oppression, the Roman government had occupied, abused, mistreated, and oppressed the people of Israel. For 600 years, brutal invaders had tamped down this nation that considered themselves to be the people of God. The Jewish pe people have always considered themselves to be the people of God, and that, and, that, and that their God, Jehovah, would always bless them and cause them to prosper, and that hadn't happened for 600 years. They hadn't been free for 600 years. They'd been under brutal authoritarian regimes for 600 years. They had lost their hope. They'd lost their wonder. Taxed into perpetual poverty, treated as property of the Roman Empire, few freedoms that they can enjoy, little hope of a better life, Violence and corruption was normal. Even their religious institutions, the temple, right? The priesthood, all of it had sold their soul to the Roman government for their own wealth. The entire governmental system, religious system during the time of Jesus, absolutely corrupt. This is life as the Jews experienced it, found in Isaiah 24, five through six. The earth is defiled by its people. They have disobeyed God's law violated the statutes and broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth. That described the nation of Israel for 600 years. They considered themselves cursed. There was the curse of poverty. People could not provide the basic needs of their family. 
They couldn't live with basic dignity. There's the curse of violence, a world under constant threat, uh, perpetually worried if they were going to be assaulted. The curse of injustice, the weakest among them alone and victims of abuse. They were minorities in an oppressive regime. There was a curse of loneliness where people felt entirely alone. They felt abandoned by God. They felt abandoned by any kind of governmental support. They felt as though they had this curse upon them that Isaiah 24 spoke about. That was 2,000 years ago. And some of us might feel as though this curse still exists today, and I would say in many respects it does. The world statistically has never been as good as it is today, as safe and prosperous and free as it is today, but still, these curses kind of linger. There's still poverty in this world. There's still violence in this world. There's still injustice in this world. There's still loneliness in this world. And so for many people, they still feel the weight of this curse. But 2,000 years ago, God made a promise that is still true today. In the midst of that Isaiah presentation of the curse that is over the land, there's a promise that God makes. Listen to this promise in Isaiah 51, four through six. He says, listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. My law will prevail. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way. And my arm will bring justice to the nations. My salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. So even within this sort of cursed world of poverty and violence and injustice and loneliness, God says, I will bring salvation. You will be saved from poverty. You will be saved from violence. You will be saved from injustice. You will be saved from loneliness. He's declaring this to the whole world. Salvation is coming. Hold on. You might not experience all of it in full in your lifetime. In your lifetime, we might struggle with these things, with poverty, violence, injustice, or loneliness. But God says, my salvation is coming and it will fill all the earth. It will come, my righteousness, my goodness will come, and that new kingdom will last forever. And how does God do that? Well, he foreshadows how in Isaiah chapter seven, it's like the Christmas verse, right? It's on most every Christmas card. It's Isaiah 7, 14. In the midst of this curse, God makes a promise that I will save this place. And he says, here's how I'm going to do it. You ready? The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look. And that look is with an exclamation point. In other words, God says, this is going to blow your mind. The spirit of wonder will emerge. Look at this incredibly wondrous thing I'm going to do. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Then the Lord will bring things on you, your nation and your family, unlike anything before. You see what God is doing? He's saying, I know you're hurting. I know you're struggling. I know nation of Israel, you're lost. I know you here in Temecula, some of us are really struggling even now today. God says, I know what you're going through. My son, Jesus, that I foreshadowed here in Isaiah 7, he went through everything you're going through right now. Every bit of suffering you're experiencing, Jesus himself experienced. I know your pain, God says. But salvation is coming. The kingdom of heaven is coming to this earth. There will be salvation. There will be relief from poverty, violence, injustice, and loneliness. Salvation is coming Hold on, hold on. A child is coming who will be God with us, Emmanuel. This child is is Jesus. And through Jesus, God is saving the world. Let me put it to you this way. 
There is no more wondrous story in all the earth than this child. Born poor, oppressed, disrespected, and desperate. This child is Emmanuel, God with us, and he brings salvation to everyone everywhere. That is the most wondrous story ever told. It began at the birth of, of Jesus. His name was actually Yeshua. So when he was walking around town, uh, they called him Yeshua. That was his Hebrew name. The Hebrew name spelled in English is Joshua. So for those of you who are Joshua's, you have the name of Jesus. That's, you know, congratulations. You're better than us. That's Joshua. The uh, Greek translation of Yeshua is actually Jesus. So that's how we get the name Jesus. So we call him by his Greek translated name. And the reason I bring all that up is because his initial name, Jehovah Shua, is a compound word from uh, uh, the word of God and Yeshua, which means to save. So Yeshua is a compound name that means God saves. That is who Jesus is. He's the savior of the world. He's Yeshua. He's Jesus. And you know the story. Born in a very common and unassuming way, born in poverty, raised in a village so small it wasn't even on the map. In fact, for many, many years, hundreds and hundreds of years, scholars would read the Bible story about Nazareth and think, well, the Bible's just a made-up fairy tale because what's Nazareth? It's not on any maps. And then they discovered the ruins of Nazareth on like a hill, no joke, about as big as this auditorium. That's Nazareth. Squatter's village wasn't even sophisticated enough to be a town. Probably just a group of people truly like camping and making huts on a mound. That's how poor Jesus was. His city wasn't even on the map. A tradesman carpenter, an uneducated man with a simple message. And here's the message of Jesus. That the world will be saved through love. That's the message of Jesus in a sentence. The world will be saved through love. And then Jesus just made fine points throughout his entire life. This world will not be saved by war. It will not be saved by violence. It will not be saved by politics. And it will most certainly not be saved by these religious corrupt people over here. He was very clear about that. He says, but the world will be saved through love. And then he spent his entire life showing the world how to love. And so he loved those who were poor. He loved those who were outcasts. He loved those who were marginalized. He loved the minorities. He loved people who were considered to be cursed by God. He loved those people who were labeled sinners. And he says, bring them all, bring them all to me. I will serve them, I will feed them, I will heal them, I will love them, I will welcome them, I will show them the love of God every step of the way. And by the way, this whole thing is gonna cost me my life. Because the more people gathered around Jesus, the more the religious powers and the religious powers were threatened by Jesus. And then Jesus publicly tore down the religious leaders and tore down the political leaders and so they had beef and they had swords and they had a cross and they crucified Jesus. This message that love will save the world cost Jesus his life. But that's not where the wonderment comes from. The wonderment comes after the crucifixion on Friday came Sunday. And you know the story. We're heading into Easter, a little preview of Easter. The Sunday following the crucifixion, his body was gone, nowhere to be found. His core disciples panicked and tried to figure out what happened. Why would anybody steal the body of Jesus? They go back to their base camp, his house, and there's Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, the crucified Jesus. He spends more than a month with them, reteaching them all that he taught them during the three and a half years he was with them. How to love people, how to welcome people, how to treat people, how to forgive people, how to serve people. And then he gave them his spirit. And he says, you're gonna start 
this thing that we're gonna call the church, the gathering of people who follow me. And that message spread out. Thousands of people initially accepted Jesus in Jerusalem. Then the authorities pounced on those people, persecuted them, and spread them all over Asia Minor. So little churches popped up all over the Southern Roman Empire. And over a few hundred years, hundreds of thousands of Christians starting, started to emerge in this new religious community called Christianity. Little Christs were following Jesus together in illegal home churches. And then the government of Rome made the Roman Catholic Church, and then Christianity spread all over Europe, and then now all over the world. And can I tell you that right now at this very moment, the eight billionth person was born last month, so yay, there's eight billion people on the earth. Of the eight billion people on the earth, two billion, 570 million of them are Christians. A third of this world follows Jesus, a third. Now, that should cause a feeling of wonder right there. Let's go from point A to point B. Point A was Jesus was born in a barn, so poor he was born in a barn, raised on a squatter's knoll, he was so poor, he didn't even live in a city. He was rejected by his own hometown for his message. He became a wandering, traveling preacher, living off of the donations of others. He cobbled together a few disciples and started just hanging out with the most despised, poor, rejected people on earth and was crucified. That's point A. Point B that we're living in right now is one third of the earth follows him. Is that amazing? I mean, that is the most amazing story I can possibly imagine. And it does get better. You ready? I didn't know this. I did a lot of research on this. Christianity in America is struggling for all the right and good reasons. Christianity in America is struggling. But globally, Christianity is exploding right now, exploding. As population levels out at 9 billion people in about 50 years, Christianity will continue to rise. Right around 2070, Christianity will be the majority religion on earth. There is still momentum around the cause of Christ. This little poor peasant baby born in a barn. Wild. But here's the biggest deal to me. It's not the numbers and the percentages of people who claim the Christian religion. I'm not impressed with that. What I am impressed with is that what's happening right now is even the Christian religion itself is starting to reevaluate themselves and to think to themselves, I think we got a lot of this wrong. <laughs> and let's get back to what I would call the, the real Jesus. Let's get back to the humble Jesus. Let's get back to the poor Jesus. Let's get back to the gracious Jesus. Let's get back to the welcoming Jesus. Let's get back to the Jesus who was rejected by the religious leaders because he was too much on the street with people who were labeled sinners, rejected by the formal religion. Let's get back to that Jesus. Let's get back to the Jesus who was accused of being a friend of sinners. Let's get back to the Jesus who said, hey, listen, God is for our benefit. We don't live for his. Let's get back to the Jesus who says God is our father, not our ominous judge. Let's get back to that Jesus. Christianity itself is going through what I hope is a huge reformation. That's what gets me most excited. That Christmas wonder isn't about religious services for the Christian faith. The Christmas season and real Christmas wonder is staring into the eyes of Jesus, the real Jesus, who said this world's gonna be saved by love and showed us how to love. So what can we do this Christmas season 
couple quick things. Choose to see a world full of wonder. Choose to see a world full of wonder. And it can start like now. We're gonna dismiss in about three minutes. Walk outside and just be in awe of this world. Don't look to the construction zone. Look, that's a mess. Look south, <laughs> east. But truly, just take in winter in Southern California. Take it in. Take in the people around you. I mean, you are amazing people, most of you. You're amazing people, right? As you go around town, don't get all bothered by the traffic. You are the traffic, deal with that. They're not in your way, you're in their way, right? Just get some humility around that. Forget all the, and just look at all of these beautiful, wonderful people buying presents for the people that they love and they're gonna spend time with their family this season. I mean, just take it in, just look through a child's eyes, right? Jesus said, have that childlike wonder, you'll see the kingdom of heaven. It's all how we see things. See this world in a big, as a, the big beautiful wonder that, that it is. Choose to see a family full of wonder. Choose to see a family full of wonder. Now, do you have a complicated family? Parts of my family are kind of complicated. Even if it's a complicated family, choose to see a family full of wonder. You may disagree, and there might be battles. Family members may have you know, disconnected with you. Some may have harmed you. You might need some boundaries, all that healthy stuff. But really look at your family and say, this is a big, beautiful disaster. Right? For some of us, this is a disaster, right? But it's a wonderful disaster, right? Let's make the best out of this. Let's heal where we can heal and let's try to empathize where we can empathize and understand and set boundaries where you need to set boundaries, for sure. Take care of yourself. But choose to see your family as a, uh, as a, as a wonderful family. Choose to see this Christmas season full of wonder. Choose to see this Christmas season full of wonder. If you don't yet have that Christmas spark, go get it. Don't wait for it to come, it might not. Just go get it. Choose to drive somewhere that's full of Christmas stuff, right? Choose to go to, I don't know, maybe church every Sunday, uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, choose to do something Christmassy. You know, decorate your house in a way you've never decorated it before. <laughs> yeah, buddy, that, that's my, I don't do a good job at that. I'll have Steve Solomon can come over and put lights. He likes that stuff. All right, we'll do that. Um, but choose to do, stretch yourself this Christmas. Do something Christmassy that you haven't done before. And then finally, and this is homework for you, choose to see yourself bringing wonder to the world around you. Really think this through. Choose to see yourself bringing wonder to the world around you. The reason why there is one third of the world following Jesus today and why in a generation half the world will be following Jesus is not because Jesus was here to do the work. It's because we were here to do the work through Jesus. You see where I'm going with this? The spread of Jesus Christ, the spread of the wonder of Christmas, the spread of the message of Jesus that this world will be saved through love happens through us. We have Jesus as our model, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have the spirit of Christ that unites us together as a family of faith, and we choose to spread the wonder of Christmas. That's on us. How are we gonna love our neighbor? That's on us. How are we gonna love our family? That's on us. How are we gonna love and serve the poor? That's on us. This wonder of Christmas is on us. We have everything we need. God says you've got it all. 
knock yourself out. Specifically, I want you to think about this. Who can I bring a sense of wonder to this season? Who can I bring a sense of wonder to this season? What can you do for someone? It could just be one person. What can I do for someone this season that will cause them to have that feeling like, whoa, you've got to be kidding me. That is really cool. If there's someone you know, maybe at work, who's really struggling, maybe a financial mess, slip them some anonymous cash, <laughs> right? Wow, someone was thoughtful enough, they know me, they know I'm struggling, and this maybe bought Christmas dinner, right? Notice people, notice where they're struggling. If you have a disconnect with somebody, maybe in your family, maybe at work, wherever it is, your neighbor, if you have a relationship disconnect with somebody, you know what you can do that will absolutely floor them? Is if you came to them and said, hey, listen, I know we haven't been getting along and you know, there's something between us. I just want to apologize for everything I have done to hurt you. They'll just pass out right there. Like, people don't do that. You talk about Christmas wonder? Reconcile a relationship the way God reconciled himself to us through Jesus Christ and apologize. And by the way, this is not an apologize. I'm sorry if you were hurt by something I did. That's bogus. You're, not, you're never allowed to say that. A real apology is I am sorry for everything I've done to hurt you. You might not have intended to hurt them, but you did. Just apologize, right? Reconcile with somebody. Be generous, be charitable, be thoughtful. What can you do to cause Christmas wonder in one person this season? Think about that. That's your homework assignment, right? We'll all share our answers together next Sunday. <laughs> Maybe not, but let's pray. God, we thank you for our time together today. Thank you that we can focus on, on Jesus, the anticipation of Jesus who brought the kingdom of heaven and is still bringing the kingdom of heaven today through us. Jesus himself declared and lived out this reality that this world will be saved through love. So God, help us to focus on Jesus, the one who loved more than anyone, the one who loved in the full expression of, of our God, the one who, who showed us how to give of ourselves to meet the needs of others, how to get to know people and to prioritize them and to empathize and to walk alongside and kneel down beside and, and generously give to meet their needs. God, help us to do that in the life of at least one person this Christmas season, that you, through us, might cause Christmas wonder to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody say